Thank you for your worship this morning. I sense the presence of God. I was right behind the stage worshiping with you for uh, that time of just ushering in the presence of God. And I want you to know he's here today. And I want you to know that if you'll keep your heart open, he will continue. Amen. Um, you know, this entire quarter we've been emphasizing rebuilding the wall of worship. This morning, I want to talk to you about the reality of his presence within. The reality of his presence within. I'm going to use as a text a very familiar passage of Scripture. Some of you could quote it. Many of you probably can quote this particular verse of Scripture. First 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4. Follow with me if you will. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Let me pause right here to tell you what them that you have overcome is. If you start back at the beginning of the chapter, you realize that he is talking about evil spirits, especially the spirit of Antichrist that's in the world today. If, you, if there's a verse of Scripture in the Bible that's applicable, many, 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 actually all of them from Genesis to Revelations, are, there, there are applications you can make. But if you want a verse of Scripture that speaks specifically where we are right now, this is one of those. Uh, I, I don't know whether you sense it or not, but the spirit of Antichrist is in this world right now. I'm not going to get out on a limb and try to identify the Antichrist. Uh, that's not really even important anyway. But I can tell you that the spirit of Antichrist is in this world right now. Did you know that one of our legislators this past week um, went on a tirade against the, uh, the new FBI director-elect because he said, the, the, the guy that's been nominated to be the new head of the FBI. He said that he believed that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. And, and one of our legislators went on an absolute tirade against him and said he's not fit to serve his nation because of that kind of narrow-mindedness. That's the spirit of Antichrist. That's the spirit. Antichrist spirit is in the world. But John the apostle said, we've overcome him. Praise God. In, in other words, Jesus is already disarmed and defeated. So your enemy has no arms or no feet. Right. Amen. He's been disarmed and defeated. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and, and, and here's why. Because now that he's done that, who is in you, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Let me say that again. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen. Now, in case that person next to you might doze off and miss some of the service this morning, I want them to get this. So I want you to help me. I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to tell them the greater one lives inside you. Make sure they get that. <laughs> the greater one is on the inside. Now, First thing I want you to notice is I want to deal with this within and upon and what we're talking about here. Within, let's deal with that first of all. When Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit being within, he made this powerful statement 
immediately after his resurrection. Let's look at John chapter 20, verses 19 to 22. Then the same day at evening, let me tell you what day that was. That was the day he was resurrected. That was Sunday, the first day of the week. The same day, that evening, being the first day of the week, it tells you right there, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now, let me pause right here. That, that statement is made casually in this verse because it's not the main topic of the verse. But I'm telling you, that's an understatement, one of the many understatements that you'll find because he doesn't want to you know, tie you up with that because he wants you to get the main point of the, of, of the verse. But you talking about the disciples being glad. Three days before that, they had seen their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, crucified. And now they're looking at him resurrected. You, you talking about glad. When it says they were glad when they saw the Lord, folks, they were glad. Amen. Let, 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 let's read on. They were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason I, I want to point this out, I'm going to deal with this within the, uh, that, that uh, Jesus talks about of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but I want you to understand the difference between within and upon. Let's look upon now. This statement is made immediately before his ascension. So what I'm about to read to you from Acts chapter 1 comes 40 days after the verse that I just read, the verses I just read to you in John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, when Jesus, he's resurrected now and he breathes on his disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. He talks about the Holy Spirit being within them. My opinion is that that's when they were born again. Now they were followers of Christ, but they were still under the old covenant until after Jesus was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit that does the new birth experience in our lives. He regenerates us. I like to say he just regenes us. He gives us a new DNA, spiritually speaking. And, and so Jesus breathes on his disciples and said, now receive the Holy Spirit. Accept the Holy Spirit in now to do this work. What I just paid for three days earlier on the cross and, and went down and took the keys of death, hell, and the grave from Satan and have resurrected now and sprinkled my blood on the mercy seat. And I'm here to declare to you that this is a new day and the new covenant's now in operation. And I want you to receive, accept that work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does that work in them. Now, 40 days later, he talks about the Holy Spirit coming upon them. As I said, this passage comes immediately before his ascension. Acts chapter 1, look at verses 4 to 8. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. 
For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father put in his own authority, but you shall receive power. How many of you like the fact that the Holy Spirit has power? You shall receive power. We talked about that last Sunday, the Pentecost Sunday, the power of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit has come, notice the word is upon. I think they've got it underlined. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, prior to this, he's talking about the Holy Spirit being within you. Now he's talking about the Holy Spirit coming upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, I want to tell you, both of these are important. It's important to have the Holy Spirit within. It's important to have the Holy Spirit upon Let's look at within, first of all, again, just a re-glance at it, and then, then I'll get to the heart of the message. When, when the Holy Spirit comes within, the, the purpose of that is for development. Remember I said it's the Holy Spirit. You can't come to God except the Holy Spirit draws you. You, you don't just willy-nilly just say, well, I think I'll, I'll be saved. No, the Holy Spirit has to reveal to you that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. Make that real to your heart. God's given you faith to do that, to receive that. And so the Holy Spirit draws you to God. He's the one that convicts you of your sin. He's the one that helps you understand that you need a Savior. And he's there at that new birth experience. And when that new birth experience happens, you start off and begin to grow from there. In fact, there are nine fruit of the Spirit that are mentioned and, and the purpose of that is for that development. That comes when the Holy Spirit is within. Look at Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23a. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you developing from that moment of salvation. You know, <laughs> you... you you, you watch your kids when they're, when they're born, and isn't it amazing how much they learn and how they develop and how quickly they learn so much and develop so quickly? Well, I mean, they just, they just wow. In, in fact, those first years, we call them formative years, they are so important in the development of a child. Child doesn't come here knowing right from wrong. Child doesn't come here understanding manners. A child doesn't come here having any self-control. Good night. You know that. They'll start off. They'll cry all night. They don't care whether you need some sleep or rest. Man, it bother them. They have no regard for anybody else. They're totally self-absorbed. That They just think about themselves. And, and so all of that has to be developed. And it's the same thing with, with the spiritual life. Newborn baby. Have you, have you ever seen a a person come to Christ that just come, I mean, just right out of the raw. I, that's the way I like to refer to it. In other words, they have no church background. They, they, they never, they've never been to church. They don't know. They can't speak Christianese. I mean, they don't know. They don't know our language. They don't, they, they just raw. I, I remember one, one night down at Crawford Avenue, Sunday night, a guy came in. He was drunk as he could be. He came in off the street. He heard the service going on. He came in, and, and he uh, 
one of the ushers, of course, tried to kind of take care of him and help him from getting too rowdy. And he hollered out a few times in the service, but uh, we managed to get him. But by the end of the service, the Holy Spirit had gripped his heart. And he came to the altar and gave his heart to Jesus. And, and church, I'm telling you, this guy got born again. I mean, he sobered up. He was as sober as a judge. I mean, just instantly. The Holy Spirit just sobered him up. And he had a smile on his face from ear to ear. And I mean, he was just glowing in the spirit. He was born again. <laughs> but he was a baby. Now, forgive me for what I'm about to say, but I'm just going to quote him. I made the mistake of handing a microphone to a brand new baby and ask him to give his testimony. And here's what he said. I'm, I'm just quoting him. He said, he was crying. He said, preacher, he said, I was coming down the sidewalk and I heard y'all singing and I, I came in here and I, I don't know what happened to me, but said, I got to sitting there and you was preaching on the coming of Jesus and it scared the hell out of me. <laughs> I'm just quoting him now, please. I hope I didn't offend anybody. But, but what I'm saying to you, he was born again. He was a Christian. He was my brother in Christ. But he had not been developed yet. You know, we, we don't use that word like that. We don't use that word unless we're actually talking about the place. We, that's not a byword in our language any longer. But that, that he hadn't learned that yet. So baby Christians act like baby Christians. But thank God for the Holy Spirit within that helps develop and helps bring us along and helps us to understand how we're supposed to love one another and how we're supposed to treat each other and how we're supposed to show the love of Jesus. and how, how that, That's the work of the Holy Spirit within us. I, I love that. But then there's the Holy Spirit upon us that Jesus talked about. Now, let me ask you something, folks. Do you think that the day Jesus was raised from the dead... That afternoon, when he met with his disciples and breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, do you think that they didn't receive the Holy Spirit? Do, do, do you think that they still had to wait 40 more days before there was any Holy Spirit? This, this is why I don't argue with people who say to me, Oh, preacher, I received the Holy Spirit when I got saved. I said, well, well good, I'm, I appreciate that, and I have no problems with that because you couldn't have gotten saved if it had not been for the work of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's been working in you. But Jesus said that he also wants the Holy Spirit to come upon you because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it is for the purpose of power for service. Isn't that, isn't that what Jesus said? Didn't, didn't we read it a while ago that, that he wanted us to wait until it, it, that, that the Holy Spirit comes upon us so that we'll have the power to witness for him and to work for him? This is the, what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's an experience that, that the, the Lord Jesus does the baptizing. 
You know, and I've told you before, and so forgive me for running through this. Three things are always necessary for a baptism. You have to have a candidate. You've got to have somebody to, be, to baptize. You've got to have an element. You've got to have something to baptize them in. And then you've got to have an agent. You've got to have somebody that does a baptizing. We've got a baptistry right over here. We baptized a couple Sundays ago. What we do when we baptize, the, the person who does the baptizing is the agent that takes the candidate and then baptizes them into water. We call that water baptism. <clears throat> now, we baptize them in water. The water is all over them. The water is upon them. We don't, we don't put the water in them. You understand that, don't you? In fact, we tell them, you know, keep your mouth closed. Put your hand over your mouth if you want to. Hold your nose if you want to. But uh, it, we're, we're not going to try to get water in you. We're going to get water upon you. In salvation, the Holy Spirit is the agent that takes you, the candidate, and baptizes you into the body of Christ. But Jesus said, I want to do some baptizing myself. He said, in the baptism of the Holy Ghost, Jesus is the agent that takes you, the candidate, and baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. And when that Holy Spirit covers you, there is a power that comes with it, a dunamis, a dynamite power that comes with it. All of a sudden, there's a new boldness in you. Praise God. You're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ anymore. Amen. You're not Simon Peter hiding out and denying and pretending you don't know Jesus anymore. You're able to throw your head back and say, yeah, praise God. Amen. I've been saved with the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm a new creature in the Lord, a power to do things for God. Now, both of these are so vitally important. In fact, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that, that, that anointing comes upon you, and there are gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us in the body of Christ to, to do things for God. Let's read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. But the manifestation, here's the manifestation of the Spirit, is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge, to another the faith, to another the gifts of healing, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Nine gifts of the Spirit that's upon us. As we, now, I want to focus for the next few minutes on the Spirit working within because this is now God's dwelling place. This is now God's dwelling place. Let's look at the old covenant. In the old covenant, prior to what happened uh, at the cross and, and after, God's manifest presence was in a specific place. You remember the Old Testament when God gave Moses the instruction on building the tabernacle? They, they built the tabernacle, and there was the outer court, and then there was the inner court. But then when you got way on back into the center of that tabernacle, there was a place that was cordoned off, and it was very special. It was very sacred because this was the place of the manifest presence of God. We refer to it as the Holy of Holies. That, that place was where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt. That, that was where the seraphim spread their wings over the, the, the ark, and, and, and that's the mercy seat was there. The presence of God was so powerful there. 
and, and so forceful there. You had to be careful how you went in there. In fact, everybody couldn't go in there. Only the high priest. And he only made a trip into that particular area. Now, he could, uh, the holy place out there and, and out there where, uh, where there's the altar and, and, and all of the sacrifices and all that going on, he, he, could, he could deal with that out there. But the holy of holies, you, you only went in special preparation, a special time once a year when he went in on behalf of the people and, uh, and presented to the Lord the, the, the blood sacrifice and and a, the atonement was made for the sins that they committed for that year. Special place. Later on, they built a temple. Same thing in the temple. There was that holy of holies. There, there was a holy place, but then there's a holy of holies. This is the holiest place on the face of the earth because this is where the manifest presence of God dwells. Now, I'm, I'm going to say something here, and I, I hope I don't, I hope I don't mess your theology up too bad here. Um, it actually messed with mine. I, I grew up hearing this, and I'll have to admit to you, I have said it many times in life, and I've even preached it from the pulpit, that when Jesus, you know, there are seven sayings from the cross. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, and that last statement he made, when he cried out and said, it is finished. I, I have said, and I've been taught all my life, that what he was saying was the plan of salvation was now complete. It's finished. I've come to believe that, that that's not accurate. And let me tell you why. Because the plan of salvation was not complete until he arose from the dead. Paul said, if Christ be not risen from the dead, our preaching's in vain. If, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, his, his death on the cross was in vain. So the fact is the plan of salvation was not completed until he rose, arose from the dead. So what's he talking about when he said it is finished? Well, let me tell you, the very next verse, and I don't have these on the screen, I'm sorry. I, I, the Holy Spirit just brought this to my memory in the first service, so I'm repeating it again in, in this service. In, in Matthew chapter 20, verses 50 and 51, verse 50 tells you where he made that last cry and gave up the ghost and died. The very next verse says, and the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. Now, remember that veil is what separated, kept the people away from the manifest presence of God. It guarded and protected the Holy of Holies. That veil was a curtain that was 40 feet wide, 20 feet high, as high as this building. And it was four solid inches thick. I'm talking about a, a curtain that's this thick. Some historians believe that it would have taken four yoke of oxen to, to have torn that 
the, 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 these materials, I don't have time to go into all that, but if you go back and study in the Old Testament what, the, what that curtain was made out of that, that added up layer after layer after layer till you got four inches here. I mean, that, that was strong stuff. And, and if you'd have hitched a team of oxen over here and a team of oxen over here and put it in the middle of this thing and ripped it apart, it would have, they would have had to given it all they had to have pulled that apart. Plus, if you're going to rip that apart, you would go from the bottom, wouldn't you not? And just rip it. But that's not what happened. It ripped from the top to the bottom. And what Jesus is saying when he said, it is finished, he said, the old covenant is complete. Glory to God. And God is no longer confined to a holy place in a tabernacle or a temple behind a veiled curtain that can only be approached once a year. God's coming out of here and when the manifest presence of God came out from behind that curtain, it ripped it apart from the top to the bottom. And it's almighty God saying to you and me, come on in, I'm here for you now. The price has been paid. My son has given his sacrifice and it's accepted, hallelujah. Give God some praise this morning. He's worthy. Hallelujah. 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 Which, which, which brings me now to tell you that, that now we have a new covenant. And since God does not dwell in that confined place of a holy of holies in a tabernacle or a temple, where do you think he dwells? He dwells within. He's in here. Let me give you scripture. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Let me read this from the Amplified. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is within, there's that word again, within you, whom you have received as a gift, that's the gift of grace, from God, and that you're not your own property? You were bought with a price. You were actually purchased with the precious blood of Jesus and made his own. So then honor and glorify God in your body. Let me give you another scripture, 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Where is God this morning? He's in here. He's in here. Um, you know, there, there, there's some people that they're hung up on the, the idea that church is the dwelling place of God. And when they say church, they're talking about a building. And, and buildings are sacred to some people. In fact, I was reading about a fellow this week and, and, and uh, a new pastor came to their church and uh, it's kind of a little rural church and new pastor got there and he got to want to kind of spruce up the place. It it uh, needed a little facelift. And, and one thing he noticed that was a real eyesore, they had an altar bench. And the altar bench had never been stained or varnished or anything. It was just raw wood like it always, I mean, like it was, you know, plain from the factory and just put together. And um, he wanted to sand that down and stain it and varnish it and really make it look like brand new. And boy, one of the deacons had a hissy fit. And 
and said, no, 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 pastor, don't you do that. That's sacred. He said, in fact, come here. I want to show you something. He took him down. He said, to the end of the bench, he said, do you see, do you see that stain right there? He said, those are my tears. I got saved right there at the end of that bench. And those stains, those are the hot tears that came from my eyes the night I gave my heart to Jesus. He said, that, that's where I pray. When, when I come to the altar to pray, I, I, always, I always go to that spot right there. That, that spot's sacred. And the pastor said, yeah. And he said, if somebody gets that spot before you get there, what do you do? He said, well, I go back to my seat. He said, everybody in this church knows that's my place right there at that altar. He said, makes you mad, don't he? He said, yes, it does. He said, let me tell you something, brother. That bench did not save you. Jesus saved you. And said, in fact, if you had the spirit of Christ like you ought to have, it wouldn't make you mad where you can't pray if somebody gets your spot at the end of the bench. That's religion. That's religion. And we got a lot of people who's got religion about buildings. In fact, when we moved from Crawford Avenue, we had some folks that really got upset. I remember, I remember one, one fella called Brother Elton, and he said, Brother Charles, he said, they're, they're taking our church. Brother Elton said, they're not doing any such thing. He said, that building will be right there anytime you want to go down there and worship that building. You go right on down there and worship that building. But, but the church is moving out to where God's leading us, and, and we, we're going to keep growing. Now, now please don't misunderstand me. I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to give you the impression that we ought to treat the house of God with disrespect. That's different. Uh, let me put it to you this way. If, the, if when you talk about the church being sacred, you're, you're saying that that's where God is and in in, in the manifest, uh, manifest presence of God is only there, then you're, you're mistaken. If you're saying we ought to respect the house of God because we've dedicated it to the Lord as a place where we can come together and worship the Lord, then, then, then that's correct. That's exactly, and, and it does deserve some respect. But I want to tell you this morning, this is not the only place you can worship God. Amen. This is not, you can worship God at home. You can worship God in your car. You can worship God on your job. You can worship God across town. We got young people who's going to be worshiping God in Los Angeles today. Amen. The spirit of God is within you. Hallelujah. We need to understand that that's what church is. And that's the new kingdom. That's where God dwells this morning. That's where he dwells inside of us. In fact, a couple, few Sundays ago, I I spent the whole sermon talking about the woman at the well. And uh, I know we were talking about that living water and so forth, but one of the things they talked about was worship. And, um, and that woman said to Jesus, said, where are we supposed to worship? Said, I, I know you're a Jew, and so you Jews believe we're supposed to worship over in Jerusalem. But she said, from where I come from as a Samaritan, said, uh, Mount Gerizim over there is where we've been taught that we're supposed to worship. Where do you say that we're supposed to worship? And Jesus now is looking prophetically because remember this, this was before he was crucified, before he was resurrected, before he ascended back to heaven, before the Holy Spirit was within us or upon us. And Jesus said, woman, believe me, the time is coming. Glory to God. When it, when it won't be in Jerusalem, 
It's not going to be the temple that makes the difference. It won't be Mount Gerizim. The place is not what's going to make the difference. But God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And I'm here to tell you this morning, when the Holy Spirit is within you, you can worship God. Hallelujah. Give him praise. Thank the Lord. Now, <laughs> why is this so important? Get this, and this, this is my last point. This is what makes impossibilities possible. Let, 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 me, let me read this, and then I, I want to ask you a question. Look what Jesus said in Luke 18, 27. He said, this is Jesus. This is in red in your Bible. And he said, the things which are impossible with man or with men are possible with God. Let me ask you, show of hands, how many of you believe that things that are impossible with men are possible for God? Do you, you believe that? you believe that? Praise God. All but, about, all but about 10 or 15 of you believe that. <laughs> yeah, we, we believe that. We, we can accept that. But let me take you back to my text. John said, you are of God, 1 John 4, 4, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Where is God this morning? He's in here. No wonder Jesus said, the works that I do shall you do in greater works than these because I go to my Father. The things that are impossible with men. And I don't have any doubt in my mind this morning that some of you are sitting here right now facing some situations and dealing with some circumstances that are impossible with man. But hear me. If you can get a hold of this truth, and if you can realize and recognize where God is dwelling today, you'll realize that what's impossible with man is not impossible for God. And if God is in you, then impossibilities can become possible. Amen? He's in here. Those impossible situations and circumstances, if you'll only realize that the greater one is in you, he's bigger than that problem you're dealing with this morning. He's bigger than that sickness and that disease. He's bigger than that financial problem. He's bigger than that relationship problem. He's bigger than anything you're dealing with today, and he's inside of you. Glory to God. Whoa, preacher, are you saying we're little gods? No, I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that God dwells in us. And if he's in here, <laughs> look out, devil. Amen. We, we walk around like we're intimidated and afraid of the devil and what he can do. Quit giving him praise and honor by saying the devil's giving me a hard time. Shut that stuff up in Jesus' name. Start giving him a hard time. The devil is more intimidated and afraid of you when he realizes that you know that God is inside of you than you are of him. Amen. 
So you need to put your head back and square your shoulders. And, and you say, well, preacher, why, why is it not working for me? Let me explain why. Because, because this, this greater one that's inside of us, Jesus referred to as a, as a helper, a helper. You're, if you sit around and wait for God to do everything, you're going to be waiting a long time. Here, here's the problem we got. We're sitting over here waiting on God, and God's standing over here waiting on us. We got the Holy Spirit inside of us. Jesus already told us he defeated the devil. Paul already told us we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. Amen? The Holy Spirit's not, he's a gentleman, so he's not going to turn you into some kind of a robot or a mechanical man and do everything for you. He's a helper, and he's waiting for you to give him the invitation to help you and to give him something to work with. And that's some active faith. Amen? Let me, let me read this verse of Scripture, and, and, and this will be at Hebrews chapter 13. Verses 5 and 6. Let your contact, conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Let me stop here. I'm going to read a sentence, and I'm going to ask you again with a show of hands, if this is familiar to you, in other words, you've heard this before or you've read it before, you, you, you know that this is in the Word. I want you to raise your hand. For he himself said, here, here's the phrase, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Is that, is that familiar to anybody? Jesus said that. Paul said, Jesus said it. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You're, you're familiar. You, you may have quoted that yourself. I know I certainly have. Many times I've told people, Jesus said he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Do you know why he told you that? Most of us stop right there and don't read the rest of it. Here's the rest of it. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So, does that tie it to the previous statement? So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. That's, that's why he said that. Jesus said, you don't have to worry. <clears throat> you don't have to worry about it. I'm not going to run out on you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Now, Jesus, even when he was talking to his disciples, he said, you guys, I can't be here with you any longer in the physical sense. I'm, I'm going to leave. And some of you are sad because you, I'm sad I'm going away. But he said, you don't need to be sad because when I get to the Father, I'm going to pray the Father. He's going to send you another comforter. And Jesus identifies him in St. John's Gospel as the helper. I'm going to give you another helper. He's going to, he's going to be in you and, about, and, and, and the helper. So don't worry about it. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you so that we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Hmm. The one within is my helper. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I got a helper right here. Amen. Now, all you got to do to activate that helper is believe the Word of God and start speaking the Word of God and act like you believe the Word of God and the Holy Spirit will come along and help you to perform that. Glory to God. 
<laughs> Woo, glory. Somebody's going to get a hold of this this morning. And it's going to make a difference in what you're dealing with this week. You, you're you're, you're going to say the greater one is inside of me. Many years ago, John Wesley and his brother came to America. And he came for the purpose of bringing the gospel to the Indians. In fact, he landed in Georgia, our state of all places. You can go down to the coast now and around St. Simons and, and that area down there. And you can... You can uh, you can trace the history of where John Wesley came to bring the message to the Indians. You know what happened? Not much. He went back to England defeated. But on the way, they ran into a horrible storm. And there was some people on that ship. John Wesley was scared that they were going to capsize and everything was going to be lost. The storm was so great. But he met some folks that were full of the Spirit of God, and they were just as peaceful. They were just, they were just sitting there in the middle of that storm, just singing about the goodness of God and just as relaxed if they'd been sitting out on the front porch on a breezy autumn afternoon. And he said, these folks have got something I don't have. And so he prayed until he tapped into that, and he got the Holy Spirit. <laughs> when he got back, he went to church and he tried to preach that in the church and they threw him out. I mean, physically put him out of the church. Say, you can't preach that here. Say, well, where can I preach it? Said, you have to have your own property. Preach on, not standing on our grounds and preaching. And he didn't, he didn't have any property and it suddenly dawned on him. He did have one little piece of property. Bless Pat, he paid for his, his daddy's grave. So he went out in the church graveyard and got up on his daddy's tombstone and started preaching under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit within him. And folks started coming and revival broke out and the move of God started. That, that mighty, mighty, mighty. He proved that you don't have to be in the church house to have the manifest presence of God. Amen. Later on, somebody asked him, said, what's the secret to your great ministry? And he said, I set myself on fire by the day and all of England comes at night to watch me burn. Praise God, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And, and this morning, if you can get a hold of this, if you can realize if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and you've invited the Holy Spirit within you to do that work and to begin to develop your character into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ, and especially if you've had the Holy Spirit to come upon you and you're walking in the Spirit, not walking after the flesh, you can face anything that's out there. You can walk with the three Hebrew children into the fiery furnace. You can go with Daniel into the lion's den. You can go up against Goliath. You can go anywhere you need to go by the power of the Holy Spirit. Stand to your feet this morning, if you will. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I want, I, want you to, I want the prayer team to come quickly, please. Those of you that are going to help us and any staff members we have in here, group leaders, come and help us this morning. I want you to repeat this after me. I want you to say it. You ready? 
The creator dwells in me. The greater one lives in me. The person and the power of the Holy Spirit dwells in me. Praise God. He can put me over. He can make me successful. In fact, I cannot fail because of him. He can repair this old house. Therefore, I proclaim my healing. I proclaim my deliverance. I proclaim my freedom. I proclaim my victory. Praise the Lord. 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 Glory to God. The greater ones on the inside. Here's what we're going to do. The altars are open. And the altars are open for anything you want to come and pray for. And if you want somebody to pray for you or pray with you, join their faith to yours, you come and they'll be glad to do that. If you want to come and kneel at this altar this morning, anywhere you want to come and kneel, if you want to come and stand and pray, if you want to come for healing, if you want to come for deliverance, if you want to come for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you want to come for a financial breakthrough, if you want to just come and praise the Lord, the altar's open. And if you want to come to the altar for a few minutes of prayer before you go, I, w- I want you to come this way. Come on. I want you to come now because I've already run way past my time and I know some of you got to go get babies out of nursery and children's church and all that. But if you want to come forward, I want you to come quickly. Come, come, come on. All over the building. Just come. If you, if you want to come here and pray. If, if you need to leave, Please go quietly. But those of you that are staying with us, I'm going to ask you to be seated and be in prayer for these that have come and just worship the Lord for the next few minutes while they, while they sing up here. You may be seated. Let, let's pray together. God bless you.